Welcome to the first edition of State of Emergency, a new podcast from Florida Politics. I'm Peter Schorsch. You know me from a couple of other podcasts, and I'm the publisher of Florida Politics. But the star of the show is my co-host here, who I'm going to introduce. You know him from his uh, fight over the last year and a half with the pandemic response and then the hurricanes before that, Jared Moskowitz. Jared, how are you, buddy? I'm good, Peter. I'm good. It's finally, it's finally good to be the star of something in my life. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now you're just going to make me throw the Chris Christie joke at you right early on. It's just you were the star of so many press conferences. You know, DeSantis, would, the governor would turn it right over to you. And so you've got to be one of the most visible politicians in the state right now, right? Yeah, but look, you know, that, 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 that'll fade over time. Um, I, I mean, I will tell you that I, I got to go to places in the state that I had never been before being someone elected in, in, in Broward County. I mean, obviously, when I first got, a, got into the office of, of the director, I spent a lot of time in the panhandle uh, helping those folks recover after Hurricane Michael. And then when COVID happened, you know, we were opening up testing sites all over, all over the state. And so, um, you know, it really gives you a really good aspect for how big the state is, how diverse the state is. All right, so I approached you uh, as soon as I heard you were leaving uh, state government. I said, hey, you want to do a podcast? I expected you to say no. Um, you did say yes. I love the podcast business. Um, well, to be reason- clear, when you say you approached me, it makes viewers sound like we had this really organized meeting. <laughs> it was more of a text. Do you want to do a podcast? I said yes. And the next thing I knew, a press release went out three weeks later. <laughs> that's, how, that's how you hook them. Um, and so here's the format for people that are tuning in. Uh, we're going to probably do a weekly podcast. There may be special editions. I don't know, as big elections or things pop up when a hurricane comes, it'll be interesting to see if Jared wants to, you know, if he's not too shell-shocked. Um, we're going to talk just about Florida politics. We're going to kind of avoid the national stuff. It's going to be about, this is going to be, this is Jared's idea here. It's going to be a shorter podcast, uh, even though it's going to be hard, as our friend Steve Ancor, who's going to join us later, says it's hard to get a word in edgewise talking to either one of us. Uh, we want to keep this concise. Hope that you get to listen to it, um, you know, on your ride to work or at the gym. Um, we'll probably have one interview uh, each week with uh, one of our friends. There aren't a lot of mutual friends that will own up to it, so we did drag in Vancouver. Um, and then we're going to have a cute future at the end to close out for the at least the first couple episodes. It's kind of an Ask Me Anything, um, and that's going to go both ways. I'll get to ask Jared. Jared will get to ask me stuff. Um, I We're going to, you know, there's kind of a little prohibition. You know, we're not going to get too much on the inside of key critical decisions, but we'll get there, actually. As uh, as I, I convinced Jared to open up about his time in the governor's uh, office, so we're going to hit two topics or four topics each week. Jared brings up two topics, I bring up two topics, um, run that for about twelve minutes, and so we're just going to jump in here. First topic I want to I want to broach is our friend um, Nikki Fried. She obviously she launched for governor on Monday, June first. It was teased well in advance. She's out there now. Jared, what did you think? I need you to put on your political consultant hat now. Well, I mean, look, this has been a lead up, really, I think, quite frankly, for the last easy six months, maybe longer. Uh, I I think Nikki has known that she's, you know, been moving this direction for a long time, some consideration on, you know, whether she 
would have a tough reelection. Uh, and also, obviously, having faith in her abilities, wanting to be at the top of the ticket because the top of the ticket can drag you down uh, if, uh, if you don't have someone uh, that, that you think uh, would be a good top of the ticket. So I, I think this calculation for her turned out to be very easy. As, as far as the rollout's concerned, uh, I think Nikki looked great. I think Nikki sounded great. I think she's, she, her, her messaging was really good. But, but obviously, uh, you know, having to change those financial records uh, the same day as the rollout, not clearly not optimal. That being said, let's be honest, uh, in today's day and age, a week is a lifetime in politics. It's a year and a half before the election. No one's going to remember that. Now, you don't have a, a, a preferred choice yet, right? Not, not only are you just getting out, but you're going to keep your powder dry for a little bit, right? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not getting involved uh, in the election at all. Definitely not right now. Whether I decide to in the future, uh, there's, you know, this is, this is not even the first quarter of the governor's election. We're in the pregame. So, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not getting involved. Uh, I want to, let's see what shakes out over the, the last, uh, the next uh, year and a half. Um, there was something that stood out to me. She said she was uh, Nikki from Miami. Her Broward guy. I mean, you're Mr. Broward. Uh, is, isn't Nikki Freed a Broward person? I mean, hasn't that what she's been through much of her career? Did that strike you at all? Or is that just small potatoes? Yeah, I mean, look, sometimes we, we try to think everything that we everything that happens is somewhat intentional or poll tested. And, and maybe it is in this instance. I mean, obviously, the Democrats won Dade County uh, in the presidential election, but we got shellacked uh, in the plurality vote. Uh, the president overperformed in Dade County. It's one of the reasons why uh, Donald Trump won the state. So I could see a clear strategy of her wanting to try to get the numbers back to where they need to be for a Democrat to win statewide. That being said, I will always tell you, it was the lesson during the Charlie Crist election. It was the lesson during the Alex Sink election. It was the election, it was the lesson during the Jim Davis election. You can't take Broward for granted. Yes, Broward's gonna vote Democrat. Okay, yes, it's gonna be a big plurality, but you gotta really plus the numbers up in Broward to make up for what's gonna happen in the panhandle. What do you think about Charlie's um, first month on the trail so far? Charlie's video was excellent, by the way. I mean, I thought his video was fantastic. It was vintage Charlie. Uh, it, it just, it had his kind of vibe, um, you know, I mean, so I, I think as far as him getting out of the gate, uh, worked really well. I mean, look, Charlie has less work to do than Nikki. Let's face it, right? I mean, Charlie is a known commodity. He's a known commodity to every political party that ever existed, because he's been a part <laughs> of one. But he's a known, but he's a known commodity. And, and let's be honest, right? Name ID is the name of the game. And so, uh, you know, I, I think Charlie, obviously, as today, as we sit, you know, in, in the beginning of June, Charlie is well suited. I think what Nikki will, will find out, no difference than every state representative or state senator who believes they're well known in their district and they finally, you know, do a, uh, a name ID test and they find only 7% of the people know who they are. I think Nikki's way ahead of that. But I think obviously it, it, it you know, our, it just goes to show you that, you know, the governor is well known, but cabinet members still have somewhat of an uphill battle uh, to increase that name ID. Was that a dig at Annette Tadeo just subtly, or was I not looking at that the right way? No, it was a dig at myself. I mean, I used to think I was like ubiquitous in my district, you know, and then I remember, <laughs> I remember like testing my name ID and 7% of my constituents had heard of Jared Moskowitz. 
And I was like, well, that's that, that I feel sheepish. Uh, and so, um, no, I just, look, we, the news cycle changes so much. People come in and out of politics. There's all these different offices, local office, state office, national office. We, we can't pretend that with all the incoming that's coming at people uh, every day, they have their own lives, they have their own distractions, social media, all the different outlets that people have. We can't pretend to think that uh, they, they remember uh, politicians that haven't been around a long time uh, uh, in that district. All right, let's see how our segues work as a new podcast co-host. That was topic number one, Nikki Fried, uh, roll out. Topic number two, your call. What, what's your number one topic? You know, my, my number one topic, quite frankly, is, you know, what, what's next in COVID, right? I mean, I, I feel like we're at this weird point. I, I don't know about, about you. I mean, I'm going into Publix now, not wearing a mask because it's not required. I'm going into restaurants not wearing a mask, it's not required, I'm vaccinated, uh, you know, people need to go out and get vaccinated. But I, I still feel like we don't know where, what to do. I feel like there's half the segment of the population still uh, living uh, like uh, COVID never happened. And then there's another segment who believes we're still in the beginning throes of the pandemic. And so I'm just curious, like, what, what do you think? I mean, I mean, we, where is COVID 90 days from now? I mean, we're still unfortunately having deaths from COVID. There's still families that are suffering. It's way down, obviously. It's, um, but I just, it's weird. It's like, is the pandemic over? You know, I think the experience in Florida is so different than the rest of the country and world. Like we really, like, you know, credit to the governor, credit to yourself, but you know, Florida is, it's not that it's an anomaly in the damage, it's an anomaly in the reaction to the damage. You know, we went to New York a month ago and New York is like a post-war city. I mean, those people are walking around shell-shocked from, and they basically have the same amount of dead, uh, give or take a few thousand people, noble souls. But, you know, it, it, it shut down their economy as well. You, but if you talk to anyone in New York, to a man and woman, they are, uh, they are coming out of a fog. They're still in a fog, but they're coming out of a fog uh, that's much different than the free state of Florida. And so that, that's my, and I think that you could extrapolate that to a much larger theme, which is there is, if we've ever had two Americas before, we are certainly going to have two Americas post-pandemic. There's gonna be the vaccinated, and quite honestly, I think there's gonna be the blue states, uh, which are, are, are gonna be past this and probably uh, prospering quicker. And I think you're going to see a lag in the red states. Florida had 12,000 cases last week. I remember this time last year, we were traveling on an RV trip and we kept saying to ourselves, you know, if it ever gets past 2,000 cases a day, it's just going to be crazy. And it did get past 2,000 cases. You know, we still lost 95 people yesterday. Um, you know, and this is, you know, if I think there was a great article in the Washington Post that said, the pandemic is getting better just as it's getting worse. The rest of the world, Vietnam is on fire. Malaysia is on fire. Indonesia is on fire. World India is on fire. Um, you know, I think that, the, you know, they're talking about the new variants in the UK and everything like that. I, I, you know, I think we should tread carefully. I think we really have to tread carefully here. I get the idea of like living our lives and everything like that and making micro decisions like should the kids wear school of masks and 
you know, should I go to a, a theme park? But I just don't think, I, I, I feel like, Jared, I feel like the problem for Governor DeSantis and some of our friends is they're not respectful enough of the carnage that is really around us outside of, outside of Florida. Well, with all, with all due respect to a former Attorney General Pan Bondi, I mean, I think, I, I think her comments the other day, while, look, every, everyone is owed a mulligan, and I'll give her a mulligan because sometimes we say things that we don't really mean, but it is part of the subconscious that there's this attitude. I mean, you know, she said, it's like, I, you know, Florida is almost like the pandemic never happened. And to your point is, I, I think that there is a attitude out there that people are over the carnage. It is very similar to gun violence. And here's what I mean by that. It used, to, it used to be when gun violence was this new thing happening in the country, it was top of the story, you know, one kid gunned down, a, a, a stray bullet. And now because we've been so desensitized to it, there, there are mass shootings that don't even make it into the national news anymore. I feel like we're just at that stage with the pandemic is that we've been so desensitized to all the carnage, right? You know, hundreds of people dying a day, thousands of people dying a day, you know, that... Uh, now all of a sudden, 95 people, big deal, Peter, to those families. But because we've been so desensitized last year, it, it, you know, it's like, oh, well, that's, that's an improvement. And so it doesn't get the same level of thought, coverage, uh, or sensitivity. You know, we're going to be talking about, I'm sure, the coronavirus pandemic a lot in this podcast. Um, I mean, people are going to be, they're going to want to hear what you have to hear. Um, you know, as much as I'll bloviate about who's going to win Congressional District 13, I mean, you were, um, you're the guy on this rea- on this pandemic. It's going to be interesting as you go forward. I almost caution you in a lot of ways. You know, like you've been public sector guy for all this time. Now you're going to be out and you're going to say stuff. And listen, if people are reporting on this, they're going to say, you know, you could do a story. Um, you know, former DEM cha- uh, executive director says, the pandemic's like uh, gun violence. And and not that that's a critical statement one way or the other, but it's like, I guess I want to ask you, what is it like now, that transition from public to private? I mean, do you think you're going to be free to say some stuff that maybe you weren't able to say over the last year? Well, I mean, look, I, I think the people who have watched me for the 15 years that I was in public service. And I don't know that I'm done with public service. I have young kids right now, so I'm hitting the pause button. I spent a lot of time away from them. But but I think I was always authentic, right? I kind of just always gave it to people like, like it was, told them the truth, right? Uh, sometimes that was an inconvenient truth to whoever I was talking to, whether it was Republicans or my, my own party. And so, uh, you know, I, I look, I, I don't think that I'm going to be a- any different than I was. I was pretty direct. I mean, look, even as the director of emergency management, right, I was pushing masks uh, every single solitary day, uh, you know, which, you know, some people have pointed out is not something that, you know, the governor was doing. And so, um, you know, I, I, I don't, I, while I tell you the transition is personally uh, interesting because now I'm home, I'm getting reintegrated with my family. I realized, you know, that I was married and I have a wife here, uh, and, you know, I have a dog. Uh, so, you know, that, I, you know, I'm happy to be home and I'm getting reintegrated, but, you know, look, it is, it is a little, it is a little different to now all of a sudden be like, well, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a free man. I can like say what I think. And, you know, will that have, will that have some political repercussions? But you know what, Peter, I think the point of this podcast, 
uh, and which is why I decided when you, when you did send me that text, the reason I decided to do it, quite frankly, is that I feel like if you want something inauthentic, there are plenty of places to go. You can turn on cable news every single day and you can watch inauthenticity uh, at its best because it's just a show. Uh, it's not the news. It's not real people's opinion. It's corporate media feeding their side exactly what they want to hear to make the most profit. So, you know, if people want to hear truthfully what's happening behind the scenes and the truth and what we honestly think without that, you know, political filter, this is, then this, this will work out real well. I mean, isn't that, I mean, not to pat ourselves on the back, but, you know, aren't we, uh, we're the anomalies. We're based, I mean, you're a Democrat, I'm a Republican, but I'm a progressive, uh, as I think as you can be on the Republican side. You know, we're like the, I don't want to say token, but we're, we get along, we're centrists. I think we're a rare breed in a way where it's like, um, that just isn't, you know, because the way national politics has become, uh, and that's filtered down to the state level, you know, I take shit on both sides. I look at my Twitter feed and I got half Democrats saying I'm not tough enough on DeSantis. And then I got, but then there I am popping, you know, I'll pop DeSantis in a way not that they don't drown. I think that they probably box out a lot of it. But I know that when I say something about the Sanders, I know it gets to some people. I know some people read. And I and the same thing on the Nikki stuff. You know, I she's listen, she doesn't like me right now. And I've been tough on her because I like her so much. I expected more. Um, and it's been a challenge this week, you know, being critical of her. Um, but I think that that's what you and I will be bringing to this podcast is we are in the middle of the road uh, on our politics for the most part. Uh, and I think we bring a unique ability to get along with, you know, both Lauren Book and Wilton Simpson or, you know, Ron DeSantis and Charlie Crist. I don't know who I'm going to vote for in the governor's race. And people don't believe me when I say that. I genuinely don't know. You know, the last two and a half years have been the best of my business, you know, for my business ever. You know, Ron DeSantis, you know, he does a lot of right things. Charlie Crist is a lifelong friend. You know, if Nikki gets there, it's a whole different thing. I don't know who I'm voting for. And so it just, I think it'll be interesting with this pod as we go forward. I do want to bring up one thing before we bring on Vancor. Let's get it out of the way. Uh, two things, actually. Number one, why don't you, where are you at and maybe running for office? Like, I think we need to like, like not clear that up, but your name comes up a lot on maybe you'll run for Ted Deutsch's seat or maybe a state Senate seat opens. Like you want to give a declarative, not declarative, like just an opening statement on, your political future? Yeah, I mean, Peter, look, uh, 15 years in public service, I, I, I started doing it as a second year law student living with my living in my parents' house at the time. Uh, the campaign against me was how could I get elected? I didn't pay any taxes because I was living with my parents. Um, it, so it, it, it's part of my fabric. I went through two uh, horrific tragedies in the state, one being what happened in the city of Parkland, my hometown and Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. And just two years later, uh, dealing with the pandemic, I was in, in the center of both of those. And so um, I'm not done with public office. Uh, I, you know, being, having a seat at the table, being in the room where it happens, um, you know, I think I, I, I help represent uh, Floridians and my constituents and have for 15 years. As far as what's on the immediate horizon, the answer is me being a dad. That is what's on the immediate horizon. When I left, my four-year-old was two. My seven-year-old was five. I missed a lot of time that I can't get back. My kids like me right now, which is going to change, okay? 
Um, now, you know, look, growing up, I always wanted to be a congressman. I found Congress fascinating. But Congress is also not the same place it was. Uh, and so, you know, when I make those determinations in the future, I'll make them with my family. There's nothing right now uh, that I'm vying for uh, in, uh, in 2021. Okay, and then for those who, who uh, follow us on social media, there was an awkward moment last week. Uh, you tweeted a beautiful photo of Dorado Beach. 15 minutes later, I tweeted a beautiful photo basically of the same vantage point of Dorado Beach in Puerto Rico. And then I got some texts from people, are you on vacation with Jared? And then <laughs> it was, I mean, it's literally your word, Mayor. You're, you know, uh, that, people were probably thinking, oh my God, they're on a, they're having a tryst together in Puerto Rico. Okay, <laughs> we've caught them. They literally took the same picture of the same palm tree. Okay, um, but our, our rooms apparently were like one one or two buildings apart, uh, and we we had the same had the same angle. So uh, it just goes to show you that you could literally leave the country, go to Puerto Rico, and you can't get out of Tallahassee. No. Um... I will say there was a moment we saw you. Uh, you were you were you were working the phones. You, you were uh, you were definitely getting your steps in, and that's when I told Michelle, "I'm like, I know I asked him to get some drinks. We're just gonna let him like get back into uh, into husband life." And it looked like you guys were having a romantic dinner. I'm just like, it, it was. I don't want to say like having a star there, but I was just like, let's just leave them be. Let them. Let them have their time. Um, they need not that you needed it, but um, it just looked like you guys were having a great time reconnecting with each other. Yeah, we haven't been away together just the two of us in three years. So um, it was a, it was a great vacation. I I really needed it to kind of unplug, um, you know. And so uh, you know, here's here's what I'll tell you. It, it's you know I was so invested in. DEM and uh, the pandemic response. I did that 18 hour days every day, even the last week that I worked, that just unplugging that and one day it's stopping on a dime, that transition has been difficult. I find now I'm not as busy and it's, it's, it's hard to kind of like, well, what do I do next? I mean, my phone was ringing off the hook, text, mess text messages all the time. I couldn't get caught up on email and that's just, that's just kind of all gone. So. Uh, I'm trying. I'm trying to figure out a, a, a rhythm. And now you've added this podcast. All right, um, going to be a weekly or a, a, a recurring feature. You know, we. I think we've got some. Um, I think we have the ability to bring in some good friends of ours that are in the political process. Talk a little bit uh, about get their point. Um, you know, this was this is the guy. Remember, we were on Usual Suspects together. I guess like four years ago, you were you were you were really good on that show. I thought I had been the star, uh, and then no, I was so on. good, by the way, four years ago that I never got invited back. That's how good I was. <laughs> that's uh, that's Sean Pittman and Jordan's fault. Uh, joining us now, Steve, you want to come off a of mute here? Uh, is our good friend, political consultant, the other uh, the other Democrat that gets along with Republicans. <laughs> Uh, it's our small little caucus, Steve Ancor. Steve, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great. You know, I'm at a conference in Orlando, and I got to tell you, it's a lot like, you know, who let the dogs out? It's like somebody opened, and people here 
are actually like giddy to be in a in a near first live in person conference. It's a it's a very odd energy. But we were talking. You guys were talking about the pandemic and the impact, psychological impact. Unlike New York, these people are charging out of the fog. Uh, everybody has a big giant smile on their face. It's like everybody suddenly became an extrovert after being cooped up for what a year and four months. I'll be over in Orlando tonight, or if uh, we'll uh, if. I don't know where you're staying at. I'll, I'll check you out offline. Um, uh, so you just to bring in your background in our podcast world. So you, you the, you're the host of Usual Suspects, and so that's where you and I got started. And then you and I have done a lot of like podcast talk. You're a big backer supporter of our daily podcast with Rick Flag. You're on there a lot. Um, you've been a guest on my old podcast, and so. We kind of wanted to bring you in. Obviously, you and Jared worked together on stuff in the past or, you know, know each other well. But, you know, we wanted to bring you in just as, um, I don't know, we felt safe around you, Steve. Oh, thank you. I really You're appreciate safe space. that. Well, you know, you guys were talking about Nikki, uh, Nikki Fried's announcement. I have to tell you, um, Jared, if you ever run for office and I was your GC, and uh, I hope you do run for office someday. Peter, if you ever ran for office, and I hope you don't, um, and, and the rollout for your campaign was as ham-handed as that one was after somebody has been contemplating, preparing, and planning to run. The day of, she's scrambling to find uh, endorsements. They, they post up on the website with the Secretary of State, which everybody was watching before they did their announcement. So the first round of news was, was ministerial. Uh, then they screw up with the uh, financial disclosures. You've been thinking about running for office for a year, and that was your rollout. She needs to clean house and start all over again. I will say that with total agreement, her message was, I thought, spot on about being an underdog. We all get the joke. She, I thought it was a fabulously well done message. But the rest of the rollout was so ham-handed as to almost be embarrassing. Steve, I don't, I, so I don't, look, I, you're not incorrect, right? I mean, I, like I said, the message was good. She looked great. She sounded great. The video was great. Um, but I mean, let's be honest, right? We get caught in such inside baseball sometimes, right? Uh, two weeks from now, no one is going to remember this financial disclosure thing. And that's still a year and four months before the election. Right, except come September no, 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 no. 1. That's... Hold on, let me finish. Come <laughs> September 1, whoever emerges with no money in the bank out of a what's going to be a tough primary, we will be reminded by the $100 million juggernaut known as the Ron DeSantis campaign of the very thing that she was trying to cover up. Uh, whatever it was, and I don't mean cover up in a criminal way, but whatever they did is going to be in the mail, is going to be on TV, it's going to talk about financial disclosures that were improperly filed. If I'm Ron DeSantis, I'm going to be showing that strategically. It's going to be weaponized against her, Jared, is, is my point. They destroyed Andrew Gillum with Hamilton tickets. You know, they destroyed him with the tickiest, tackiest, all sins of omission in Tallahassee city government. If you don't think that they are going to drive a train through her not disclosing $280,000 of income as a pot lobbyist, you know, I think you've been in the DEM bunker too long, my good friend. No, listen, I think <laughs> no, here's, all, here's, here's all I'm saying. Here's all I'm saying. I, I, we're talking about it as if it's some disqualifying event. It clearly was suboptimal, right? And yes, it'll be brought up time and time again. I, I just think that uh, if I'm the DeSantis folks, and I, I'm not telegraphing anything, they already did it. 
right? They've already, they've already coined her the lockdown lobbyist, right? Th what, what this campaign, at least for now, is going to be focused on is going to be COVID politics. What, what Nikki's been criticizing the governor for for the last six, seven, eight months, and, and now what the governor is going to say she got wrong. Uh, on her positions on COVID, right? She wanted schools locked down. They went right for the juggernaut, in my opinion, which is parents with kids and schools. And so, yeah, the financial disclosure thing, that'll affect maybe some fundraising. Yes, it was suboptimal. I, I, just, I just don't know that six months from now, you and I will be sitting at this podcast if, if we're still around and talking about, man, that financial disclosure thing continues to docker. I just don't think that that's, that's what oh, we're no, no, I, and I And I agree with that and, and on its natural sense. We, we, we've, you know, my firm's done well over 200 campaigns and I, we, we have a saying in our office, which is campaigns are about a lot of little things done well. And on day one, there were about four little things that were done poorly that doesn't portend good things. And you hit it, Jared, right on the head fundraisers will care about these things right away. They see Charlie Chris posting up a million and a half bucks. If she doesn't hit six high six figures, they're going to see the ham handed rollout, lackluster fundraising. Those are going to hedge their bets are going to shoot right over to Charlie Crist. Yeah. And by the way, I think the, I think the Miami thing, somebody said, I think that was a shot at Annette Tadeo because you're right. She's not from Miami. She called herself a Miami person. She's trying to box out Annette Tadeo because what could be worse one guy and two women on the ballot in a Democratic primary, one from Miami with a Hispanic name, that will hurt Nikki Free. Yes, I want to ask Jared a question because you said it twice, and it was something I talked about on Twitter. You said she looked good. And I said, I kept saying to people, wow, Nikki looked like I, the thing I liked about Nikki's rollout was this was definitely Nikki 3.0. You know, we knew her as a, a lobbyist, scrappy candidate. You know, she and there was those that phase of her career. Then we saw her as ad commissioner, cabinet member, um, you know, and there was that look and feel and action. And now this is a this is a different iteration of Nikki. This is Nikki in cursive letters or script font. This is not Nikki Freed. This is not agriculture commissioner Freed. This is his Nikki, a brand, you know, and clearly Kevin Kate, her consultant, um, is thinking about that. You know, she was her hair is longer. Um, she's, you know, there's just a whole different look and feel to her. But is it right to do that? Should, are we allowed to objectify a, a candidate like that? Um, you know, an attractive female candidate? What, I mean, are, are we in danger of objective? Let's have, let's have three guys talk about, you know, how does a female candidate look here? And I, yeah. I just wonder, I'm so, so worried about that. Uh, no, no, no. It's, it, it, it's a great question. First, going back to Steve's thing, I, I, I often think politics is like flying a plane. No one remembers the takeoff, but they always remember the landing, right? And so uh, I, I, just, I just think that yes, you know, her takeoff clearly uh, was a little rocky. I just think as that flight continues and the journey goes on, it, 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 it won't be a huge speed bump. On, when I mean she looks good, what, I, what I'm saying is I'm not objectifying her. I, I do think I was a big Hillary Clinton supporter. I was very involved in the Hillary Clinton campaign. And every time they said she had a great dress, her hair looked good, I, I always thought that that was totally ridiculous because those comments were never made, never made uh, by their male counterparts. What I'm saying is she's running for governor. She needs to look gubernatorial, right? Being a cabinet member 
okay, is a, is a great thing. You can do a lot of good, but people don't know you. You're not on the big stage. Ron DeSantis is a juggernaut. He's been, he, he has been turned into a juggernaut, right? It's, it's Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. He, those are the two leaders of the Republican Party right now, period, okay? And so Nikki needs to look gubernatorial, like she can go and take on uh, the guy who's auditioning uh, for, you know, the Republican primary of 24. And that's what I mean when I'm saying she looked good. She's got to look like I look like a governor. Well, and the fact of the matter is, and scientific studies have shown this again and again and again in America and other countries, a more physically attractive candidate gets a natural bump when when the public sees them. But I agree strongly with Jared. She looked good in terms See, that of... Explains, the Geller, that, by the way, that explains a the lot. The Gellers still get elected. I, that, I've never oh, gotten that bump. Oh, there you go. I've well, never gotten that bump. They, they, that's exactly right. But okay. she did, I thought she did look gubernatorial. She sounded good. She sounded clear. She sounded articulate. But also, we can't deny it. She looks attractive. And I think that, that, that catches people's attention. And they're going to give her a few more extra seconds. The other things, maybe you're right, Jared. People are not may not remember it unless and until the DeSantis team decides to weaponize it or the Chris team decides to weaponize it. But either regard, guys, let's face it. The three likely candidates running right now, Charlie Crist, Nikki Freed, potentially Annette Tadeo, all share one thing in common. They're likely to be beat or have a really, really tough run at getting reelected with reapportionment on the horizon, all of them in inverted seats that tend to perform Republican, statewide cabinet. I don't want to run against Wilton Simpson if he's going to run for ad commissioner. She might as well run for governor. Uh, Charlie Crist would likely be reapportioned out of his seat. He might as well run for governor. And that today's seat, Donald Trump won it by seven points. I don't blame her for taking a very serious look at running for, for governor. I wish she wouldn't because that seat can be likely only be held by someone like Annette, but uh, she obviously has the right to do so. With the three common uh, features, they're all likely to be reapportioned or beaten in their home seat. That's, that's not exactly a good calling card for the Democratic Party. If I'm Charlie right now, um, and I think Charlie's adopted this attitude, you know, uh, he's on now he's going into week five of his campaign. I think he's done a good job. Nothing, nothing like world beater yet. He's he's checked all the boxes. I thought the Kathy Castor endorsement was key, you know, locking down his his home base. One point five million is is a good number. It's not it's not some it's not a world number anymore against um you know, somebody that's going to have a hundred million, maybe two hundred million dollars. But I will say this: Chris could, Chris could do nothing for a long time. There is something very visceral about Ron DeSantis's reaction to Nikki Freed. Um, like, I don't think that Ron DeSantis respects Charlie Crist. I, I think that they're two totally different kinds of politicians. Um, you know, and, and I don't think that he hates Charlie Crist. It's hard to hate Charlie. But there is something going on there about his, you know, if you watch the press conference where he signed the budget, his reaction to Nikki Freed, I mean, he just unloaded on her. I think it's, I don't think it's fair to say Nikki Freed did nothing uh, during the pandemic. I can think of specifically her, her work to make sure that school children were fed through the free lunch program, et cetera, and, and pulling down food stamp money, et cetera. I can just think of that off my, off the top of my head. I know he didn't do nothing. But that's not the way Ron DeSantis sees it. And he it was just he was just over the top almost yesterday in his reaction to 
Um, I just want to point out it was Scott Powers of Florida Politics who asked that question, just like it was A.G. Gankarski who asked DeSantis the question about what kind of message the transgender bill. It was kind of interesting that the two Florida politics reporters had the, the questions that generated the news. So I was very proud of that. But just what do you guys think about DeSantis' obvious hatred for, for, for Nikki? Yeah, so I'll say two things about that. And I'm not saying anything where I have some inside knowledge. But what I think is, is that, you know, he took so much incoming from every direction, everywhere, during uh, the response to the pandemic. Um, but a lot of the incoming literally came from someone who sits next to him uh, on the dais uh, in the cabinet. And I think it, that it was an unusual circumstance for him. He didn't have that anywhere else, really. Um, and so I, I just think that, quite frankly, perhaps she's gotten under his skin in, in some instances. Uh, you know, I, I would caution, obviously, they're going to face whoever comes out of the primary. But I would caution folks uh, in DeSantis' world uh, who some might believe Nikki's not a serious candidate or they underestimate uh, her, her ability. Um, you know, Nikki's going to work this really hard, okay? And the politics of the Democratic Party are literally changing by the day, it seems. Uh, and so, you know, look, I, I think that they got to pay attention to Nikki. And if they dismiss her, the dismissiveness will be taken because they're dismissing her because she's a woman. Good point. They got to yeah, be point. very careful about that. Well, the, the, iron, the irony of this is, and here's a plug for St. Pete polls, you guys found that Charlie was significantly ahead and Democrats were preferring Charlie because they thought he had a better chance of beating her. But the irony here is if you look at it, Jared's exactly right. And I think it's proximity, right? She's the Marines on the shore. Charlie is the Air Force dropping bombs from afar. She clearly gets under the governor's skin. Charlie Chris doesn't seem to get under his skin. He, Ron DeSantis is, we thought Rick Scott was the perfect uh, media robot. I would argue, and I mean this as a compliment, Ron DeSantis is at least as good, if not better, than Rick Scott was in that he seems unflappable, always on message. His message is more nuanced and a little more complex than Rick Scott. You'd ask him, where's the men's room? And he'd say, it's all about jobs. But in this case, Nikki clearly gets under his skin. And so that's the irony is people think, uh, Charlie Chris would be a better candidate face off against him, but it's 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 Freed who seems to really get his goat, and we saw that in full space. His reaction was visceral; it was biting. And Charlie Chris has lobbed some pretty good bombs across, but he doesn't seem to care. I'm going to land the plane on this just because um, Jared, when we first talked about doing this 30 minutes, I'm like, you'll see, it kind of tends to run long, especially you get Bancor and I on. I always threaten like Vancouver and I, just our phone calls. Like when he's driving to South Florida, I'm like, that's a podcast. We should have just taped that thing, those two and a half hours and just served it up. Um, it's interesting to me. We still, it's a democratic primary and there's really not a defined progressive or African-American or minority in that in that race. It's very interesting given the, the leftward tilt nationally. Steve, you want to just hang out with us for a couple of seconds? We're going to we're going to land the plane on this first edition of State of Emergency. Uh, we're going to close each show with a kind of ask me anything. Um, I get to ask Jared something. Jared gets to ask me anything. We can't, we can't, uh, we can't, uh, you know, avoid it. And so I'm going to start off and I'm going to ask Jared a uh, very easy softball, but what was it like to work so closely with Casey DeSantis, who there isn't a lot of, 
there's a lot of uh, attention on her, but not a lot of profile on her. And so um, clearly the governor seems to do better, perform better when she's around. And I just, it seemed like you guys were, you know, you're pretty close into that administration. What was it like to work with uh, the first lady during this last uh, two years? Two words to describe Casey DeSantis, secret weapon, period. She's the governor's secret weapon. Uh, she is obviously uh, at a, one of his closest confidants. Um, and by the way, I mean, I, as a person, I find her to be a fantastic person. I got to work with her on a lot of mental health issues. Uh, I got to travel uh, around the state with her and, and go to different events. And I got to be honest, I've, I've seen how people react to the governor. The people love the first lady. Um, and, and listen, I got to... I have to give it out to her because, you know, I, I have kids of my own. I mean, she's got three young kids. Um, this is someone who uh, is a mom first by far, taking care of her kids and still intimately involved in the day-to-day -day, uh, stuff uh, of the administration. I can tell you whatever the governor's future is, if he decides to run for president, uh, Casey is going to be by far uh, the biggest difference, in my opinion, between him and some of the other Republican candidates out there. When, when, when the national media and other states see Ron DeSantis and they see Casey with him, it's gonna become a package deal. All right, your turn, go ahead and shoot. Who wins the governor's race? We got three people out there right now. You can add in that today, who in there if you want. Uh, handicap it for me, who wins? Um, you know, this is like the Super Bowl. Um, you just have to win the AFC title to get here. So, you know, Nikki versus Charlie. All Charlie has to do is finish one vote ahead of Nikki Free, and then it starts, the clock starts over again. Um, and I think people are underestimating it that, that you know, it will, the election was only decided by 30,000 votes last time. And that was with a very, you know, unpopular new candidate, Andrew Gillum. You know, so I think. I think the strategy for Chris for Freed, uh, I was talking with a very major DeSantis donor about this last night, who was upset about his stance on the transgender issue. I think you let DeSantis have as much rope as possible right now. Let him continue to campaign or uh, to do media interviews with OAN and the Federalist. Let him continue to sign legislation like transgender, uh, barring transgender athletes. Let him be as conservative and as Trumpian as you want. And then I think what Chris does at that point is he pops in as a Biden-esque figure and says, this is not how state government is meant to be. It is not supposed to be a 50% uh, equation. Um, and at that point, he probably still loses by about 50,000 votes. Um, so, I, you know, my, my predicted money right now is on DeSantis to win. But I will say this. I think I will say... I really think it will be a DeSantis Demings um, victory night in November 2022. I think that Marco is in a lot more trouble. He does not have any of the upside that uh, Ron DeSantis has. And I think we're going to see a very strong candidate in Val Demings. I love it. We can play this back now uh, in, <laughs> in November 2022. See if you got it it's right. It's going to change. It's going to change week to week. Trust me. Uh, I'm the guy who thought Gillum was going to win by seven, for God's sakes. All right, thank you. By, to the, by the way, so did Gillum. Yeah, thank you. To, so did Kevin Kate, the uh, architect of uh, Nikki Fried's campaign. 
Thank you to uh, our producer, uh, Jay Caruso, to Phil Ammon, who's handling some of our technical side. My, uh, my colleague, I'll let him, he'll eventually be able to sign us out. Uh, Jared Moskowitz, thank you for agreeing to do this um, and sharing your, your really valuable insights with uh, this audience. I'm Peter Schorsch. This was State of Emergency. We hope you will tune in to our next episode available wherever podcasts can be downloaded.